Nick, um, if you're if you're going to be going somewhere, say like on a hike, or uh, you're going to be going somewhere different, what is your strategy for packing? What is your strategy for um, choosing which cameras to take? Yeah, so I've done a lot of backpacking and camping and mountain climbing over the years, and so I'm really focused on saving weight and not carrying too much weight. Uh, but part of that is so that there's a little room left over to carry camera gear. And I will always look hard at weight and simplicity and kind of weatherproof qualities. Like all those things really are what I focus on. <clears throat> and then of course it depends on where I'm going. So when I'm moving fast, I'm usually either have to get somewhere or there's other people along that don't want to wait around for me to take pictures. So I'll look for cameras I can use quickly and get to without any hassle. Because if, if camera's in your pack, you're not going to stop and take your pack off and take a picture, especially if it's you know, steep and you're tired. So forget it. You know, you have to have them right out in front all the time. So access, access. is one of the most important right. things. And light, lightweight, sturdy, and easy to, easy to access, easy to shoot, quick to shoot. All those things really matter for, for when you're on the move. Um, and lightweight. Yeah. Those are the primary things. Okay. So one of the things that I'm thinking, one of the rules that I have is, oh, and I've said it before, um, when I leave the car, when I leave whatever vehicle is getting me there, when I leave the house, when I leave the hotel room, whatever it is, I want one camera. And, uh, because I hate juggling cameras, uh, I don't particularly like carrying camera bags. Uh, I, I'll take the camera bag from the house and put it in the car and it'll be there ready for me to swap things out. That's perfect. That's wonderful. Uh, but I don't want to throw a camera bag over my shoulder and then be out in the world. Um, so I want the one camera, um, very rare, very rarely would I ever take a tripod. Uh, I'm not a tripod person. Um, so, you know, uh, my thing is that if I'm walking somewhere or I'm hiking somewhere or I'm going through a city that I've never been in, um, I personally like a camera that fits in my pocket. Uh, I don't want to always have it in my hands or over my shoulder. Uh, I'm, I, I, but if I'm going to use a strap, I've gotten to the old, <laughs> after all the years of shooting that I've done and, uh, you know, I'm 53, all the years that I, and I started when I was six, right? So, and all the years I've finally gotten to the tourist strap. The next strap, um, right? The straight next strap. Well, right. Straight neck strap where... The camera is sitting on my chest, uh, as opposed to, you know, the waist length same here. shoulder strap. Yep, same yeah. here. Nice short strap, so it's like right up. And you know what? What really like clued me in? Like I've, I've always preferred that, but uh, I remember I saw a picture of a, a short movie clip of Gary Winogrand shooting on the street with a little Leica and he had this, he was a big tall guy and he had this tiny little short neck strap. So the camera was like hanging almost like a bib under his chin. And it took like less than a second for it to be at his eye and for him to fire. It was so fast. He was like a, it was like a striking snake. 
<laughs> and that impressed me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you what my favorite strap is to use. Um, I got, and I can't tell you, uh, I think it's a Tamrac, uh, which tells you, I think they're out of business. Um, which, or somebody swallowed them up and not using that, uh, name anymore, I think. I have no Maybe idea. I've seen them in stores recently, but I don't know. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so I just haven't. So that was, that was my assumption, but it is a, uh, Tamrac strap that's about half the width, um, of the, of a standard strap. Let's just say, you know, like the, you know, the gaudy guitar strap, um, camera strap. It's about half that width. Um, it has a little uh, faux leather part for the neck, and it has quick releases um, right almost at the place where you uh, attach it to the camera. And it's, you know, it has normal, uh, you know, key ring attachment to the camera. But the those quick release strap, uh, the quick release buttons allow me to use any camera that I brought on the strap, put the strap in my pocket and just handhold, handhold it. Um, I love that little strap. I actually have exactly the same one on one of my two oh. most used cameras because yeah, it, oh, it's really? pretty much okay. ideal. And then I have some super cheap, lightweight ones that have, have moved their way up to the, uh, the most used cameras. And that's partly because you know what? I tend to use the light cameras, the smaller, lighter cameras. And that's right. Right. My body just like tells me to do that. But uh, your your whole your whole description corresponds to this exactly how I feel about everything, except that I have this insurmountable urge to have too many cameras with me. And so what I'll do is I'll carry either two or three on a long trip. They'll all be really small and light. And and I've gone the opposite of you. I've car- been carrying packs for years, and I always try and make them as small and compact as possible. And if I'm going to bring two or three cameras, it's very awkward to get them in and out of a real backpack, you know. And you can't you can't travel in the mountains with a camera pack; they just don't work, you know. They're no, they're no good for anything but lugging machinery around. And so what I found was this bizarre uh, chest pouch that's quite roomy, and it will hold three small cameras in a row, and then there's a big pocket. So it's like a papoose. Kind yeah, of and it has a, a beautifully designed strap that crosses in the back that it has padding low down, and then it's just thin, open mesh high up. And so you can't even tell you're wearing it when you have a pack on. And when you take your pack on off, it just stays there. You know, it's not disturbed. The only issue is if you have to change your clothes a lot, that's a pain, but I don't. When I'm at, when I'm out, I'm either like wearing just a you know light shirt or I'm putting on a big coat and there's no in between so it doesn't really oh you don't layer you're supposed to layer no that's you only layer if you're sort of lounging around like if you're moving no matter what in this part of the world you're going to be down to a single layer in no time so you just start that way there's it's just a waste of time you know dressing up and then taking it all off again so okay so when they pull you off the mountain uh with hypothermia will remember these words uh, i've had hypothermia a couple times but i always got out under my own power <laughs> okay so i'm gonna point out you've had hypothermia a couple of times you've gotten out of your own power next time dress in layers well i have layers but they're in the pack because it's too hot to wear them that's that's the deal all right and, and then when you stop moving you put on a great big warm parka over everything and boom takes care of it
so we've talked a little bit about how we like to carry our cameras when we go and the number, but what uh, what kind of things do you like? What uh, features do you like in that camera if you're doing some sort of uh, hiking or traveling? Yeah, so the first kind of choice that always comes up is, to me anyway, is are you going to just take one camera that you know can manage all the tasks you have in mind? Uh, so it has to be something, you know, flexible where you can change parts around and that kind of thing, or at least, you know, a zoom lens, if nothing else, or would you rather have two or three cameras that are much more specialized? And I follow in the second group. And that's partly because I like to have a, I like to have a small digital camera on a long trip. And I'm talking about if I'm going to a lot of trouble to go somewhere, if I just go out for a walk, sure, I'll take one camera. But if I'm going to get, if I'm going to get up somewhere where there's glaciers and stuff like I want to bring something back, you know, and for me, I like to bring a little digital and I found a small digital camera is useful too, because it, it's a great light meter. It's a range finder. It does all this stuff without me having to have little attachments all over my cameras. So I like that about it. And then I like to have one camera that shoots 135 format and one that shoots 120, just because I end up wanting both and I use them for different kinds of photos. So, you know, that what that means for me, though, is just a little bitty range finder, you know, for the 35 millimeter and usually a folding camera for the 120. So that's that's a tiny pocket size camera. It doesn't take up any space. Sure. And, so are you looking for with the with the 120 camera? Are you, are you going square? Or are you going six by nine? You're going six, four, five. Well, my be- my very favorite one is square, and also that gives you 12 shots, which is nice. So I tend to carry the square one, and also it makes it more different. So in a way, it's you know, sort of, to my mind, it's sort of redundant to have 135 and a 6x9 because they're the same shape. And so... Right. Or even a, a 645 is close enough. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I follow you. Yeah. And so, and it just so happens, like, I'd carry... I'd carry the six by nine folding camera more if it wasn't, I have a really ancient, ancient one that I got, you know, it works, but it's, it's pretty dilapidated. So not as good in the, you know, I like things to be sturdy cause I'm going to want to yank them around and dangle them off me. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be worried that it's just going to fall apart. So, so, uh, now this is a little bit off our topic a little bit, but what do you carry then for film in this kind of situation? I tend to carry twice as much film as I'm going to use um, because I want choices for, like, for instance, you know, there it can be sometimes you have a really sunny day and then a really cloudy day, which is what I anticipated for this last trip I took. And that's what happened. And so I was glad I had a roll of something fast, you know, and a roll of something great, you know, slow for the first day. So, you know, that was that was good. What, uh, is there anything else that you uh, you make sure that you pack Anything that goes along with those cameras? Well, the thing is, digital requires batteries, right? And that's a pain in the neck because, you know, how many can you carry? The, the cameras I use chew up batteries. You use two a day. So, you know, for a long trip, that's just too much. One of the nice things about film cameras is you don't have to carry all those batteries. But you do have to carry film. So it's not, you know, you're not really getting off for free. But I feel, you know, you can you can see how long the film's going to last. It's a little more dicey with batteries. Okay. So, you know, my approach to the, to the features. Okay. So let, let's talk a little bit about my hiking, my trip, my travel is going to be a little bit different from yours. I'm, uh, I travel more into urban locations. 
Um, uh, you know, if I'm traveling, I'm going to a city, uh, or we're traveling through the countryside, we're driving most of the way. Yeah, that's, um, that's completely different. Yep. Different strategy. Right. But, but still, yeah, right. So, so that means, you know, seriously, um, if I wanted to take a four by five, you know, I, I could, um, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, four by fives aren't, aren't really my cup of tea, so I don't, but, um, I have, uh, the, once again, that camera that I take when I get out of the car, um, I, I want, uh, these are the features. I really want a camera that has a slightly wide lens. So on 35 millimeter, that can be, uh, 45 and below. Yep. Um, 50 is too close. You have to step back a little bit too much with mm-hmm. 50. I want to step closer, uh, generally. Um, I like just like, I like being able to get more in the shot because you can always walk up to something if you need to fill the frame, but sometimes you can't get far enough away with a, you know, a 50 or even a 40, like it's, there just isn't anywhere to go. Like there might be a waterfall or a cliff or something. (laughs) Right. And, and the other, the other end of that is sometimes, you know, something like a 35 or 28 is sometimes too wide. But even if it's too wide, you can always take a picture of something. Yeah, you can get up, get then, up close to something and take its picture. Exactly. You can get as close as you can, and then you can always crop later on. Whereas it's difficult to crop what you don't have that's outside of that frame. So I, I'm always in that in, in that wider than longer side. I usually would be in agreement, even in cities. Although certain cities that have really wide streets, uh, I sometimes would rather have maybe a 50 because... You know, if you're trying to take pictures of more intimate things like groups of people and, you know, if their streets are too wide to shoot across the street, then, you know, you want something a little longer. Sure, sure. I Yeah, I follow you on that. Um, you know, yeah, if you're going to go take pictures in Times Square or something like that um, or, or, you know, yeah. Yeah, and also how, uh, how friendly the, the people West. are, too. It's <laughs> sort of like how friendly the people are. Like for grizzly bears, you want a really long lens, you know. Yes, absolutely. Black bears, medium. Um, <laughs> I don't know, you know about that. <laughs> black bears, uh, yeah, it, right. I'm going to say black bears aren't a danger, and then one of our viewers will walk and ask for a pose, and yeah. black bear will whoop. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right. Do not use um, do not use wide angle lenses to photograph black bears. Generally, except in zoos and, and that type of thing. Okay, so one of the other things that I really want is I want something that is quick to focus or is focus-free. Um, and, you know, focus-free, uh, hyperfocal is a feature. Now, you, you short end of that, you know, if you're walking around in a city, sometimes hyperfocal is a little bit of a problem because you want to take a picture, you want to isolate something, you want to get on it, uh, close up on it, and if you know, if the closest you can get is six or uh, ten feet, sometimes that's a little bit of a problem. But, but man, um, that would be so nice shooting landscapes in the mountains. So I have that in mind. I want to. I want to finish one of my lightweight one twenty cameras as a hyperfocal fixed lens because it would be so great. I mean, you could almost just hang it on your belt and just fire away. You know, it would be so little to do. Advance the film, frame the shot. <laughs> You know, on a day when, when the light isn't constantly changing, you could just set it and go. Yeah. yeah um, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, another one of my features is I want it to be easy to frame. So, 
uh, bright big uh, viewfinder is very important. Or once again, you know, the absence of the viewfinder, the absence of the viewfinder just allows you to shoot from the hip and sometimes quite literally from the hip. Yeah, I think, you know, I think uh, a big, a nice big sports finder could be kind of nice for hiking too, because you could just fold it out sure. and just you know hold it up to your face and I don't know. That sounds like it might work. Right. I like I like just the be- little optical finders though because I tend to use wider lenses and then they are just easier to they work better if if they have some optics in them for what right for and, yeah. And once again, if you're shooting the bear, uh, you know you're taking a photo of the bear. You want it to be easy to frame. You want it to be quick to focus before you run, act as prey, and he chases you down. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you want to be fast. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So light meter is nice, but not necessary. And if it is a light meter, if it does have a light meter, I want it to be, you know, aperture priority or shutter priority. Um, because I want to take advantage of that light meter, um, doing some readings for me and doing some uh, calculations for me. Because once again, speed is of essence uh, a lot of times when you're out and about. Yeah. So so my technique, when I'm on my own, I'll use light meters. I like light meters. But when I'm moving through the mountains, I'll have this little digital camera. I'll shoot, 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 check, chimp chimp my ass off, look at it. Get the exposure perfect, right? And now I've really got the right exposure. I'm not guessing because I've just cheated with this digital thing. And then I can just directly apply those settings to a really primitive film camera, with it, which is what I usually have, and bam, and shoot. And it's great because I can just be completely confident that I haven't wasted an expensive square of film, you know, uh, on getting the exposure wrong. And plus, my camera also has a readout telling you how many feet or meters you are from the focal focus point so you can use it as a range, a range finder so i use these little scale focus cameras i don't even have you know for their light and they're easy to carry i can get an exact um distance if i'm in doubt like if i'm sometimes with a 75 millimeter lens on a medium format camera it focuses pretty far away and it can be hard to judge distance you know it, it's you know if you're not quite sure where you know if you're unfamiliar territory or whatever Although if you're working with scale, I mean, just hyperfocal with scale, um, right. you know, just set set that infinity right at whatever your ISO or your ISO, your uh, your aperture is. That's the way to go, but it's the Pacific Northwest. So a lot of times I'm, you know, the lens is way too wide open. So it starts, oh, okay. to, it yeah, starts yeah. to matter, you know, because um, uh, it's get low light. And my favorite, you know, pictures are usually end of beginning of the day when the light's low. Yeah, and 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 I do forget that you have you know hazy f four in the middle of the day, as opposed <laughs> to sunny sixteen. So um, okay, so one of the things I want to say about a feature I don't want I don't want DX code. Uh, I don't want it to figure out what film I'm using from the DX code, and then set it from there because I'm going to tell you about ninety percent of the rolls that I run through are bulk loaded. And they're either in the wrong can or they're in an unmarked can. Um, so I don't, you know, uh, no DX coding. In fact, actually, I mean, DX coding is really smart for point and shoot, no brainers. 
uh, and they're only going to ever shoot 200 or 400 speed film, right? Right. Or people are uh, the kind of person who just always forgets to set the ISO when they load the film. Yeah. Kind yeah. There's, right. there is that. But, um, so, um, I, I already mentioned I want it to be pocket sized, but I also want it to be pocket sized with no pr- protruding parts that dig into my leg because often when I say pocket sized, it's in my pocket. Right. Um, yeah. Cargo so, pants. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Um, although I do tend to keep my camera in, um, in my front pocket, my top front pocket, uh, on my pants, because if it's in, you know, if, if it's in the cargo, uh, spot on my leg, it'll bounce around and, you know, hit me in the knee and hit me in the knee and hit me in the knee. And you can take about four steps of that before you, uh, yeah, before you you make another choice. Yeah, so I have a so I have a travel vest that has giant pockets, one on each side, that are the kind you the kind you can put you could put a whole SLR in there and drop it, you know, and it's they're big pockets and they're actually really useful. So if you need, just need to dump your camera, but you're standing in a swamp or something, you know, you can just to- toss them in that big pocket and. Um, I use those all the time and it holds it high, It takes the weight on your shoulders and it holds it high enough that your legs don't bang into them. So, Oh yeah. It's okay. A, it's okay, a, that it's makes a, sense. real handy. And it also makes you look like a harmless old duffer, which is often useful. And, and that's another issue with cameras is, are you shooting around people? Because if you are, you, you know, how's that going to affect the people? And if you're using a quaint looking camera and you're wearing your duffer suit, you can get you can get away with a lot as compared to you know if you've got some big scary looking space age camera with giant lens sticking out of it you know right exactly um okay a couple more features uh and then uh, i'm going to run through i'm going to run through them again uh against a specific camera that i often uh carry so uh, so I want it to be quick and easy to load and unload film because often I'm doing it while I'm walking. So, um, you know, uh, that's, that's really, uh, a huge feature. So all of those, you know, QL, um, uh, labeled cannons, you know, uh, those were really good designs because you just, you know, Pull the film out, load it in, uh, advance it, and you know, I mean, by load it in, drop it in, pull the pull the leader over, close the back, advance it a couple of times, make sure that the rewind reel is uh, is advancing, um, and and go to town. Um, and uh, and there are other cameras that are a little bit more of a pain. Well, that's uh, really so. very close to what I use, which is an old Bessa R. Um, you know, yeah, Cosina made camera, and yeah. it's almost the same thing with just it has a little bit faster shutter, and maybe the light meter is right. a little fancier, but it's pretty close. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and then the last thing that I want in camera is smooth, thoughtless, integrated operation. I don't want to have to think about the operation of the camera. I want to think about the exposure. I want to think about the um, the focus. I want to think about what's in that um, in the frame. I want to be thinking about the photo as opposed to the camera. Right. So um, you know, just just that you know, mindless quick. So so here's so I want to I want to talk about a camera that is my 
favorite um, go walk around camera. Um, and that is right now it's the Leica CL. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. the thing, the thing that I like about it is its size. Um, it's, it'll fit in my front pocket. Um, uh, I like that it is, it has a, a 40 millimeter lens. Um, so it's slightly wide. That's perfect. It's got a light meter. Um, it, Easy to frame is one of my things, but it's a little bit small of a viewfinder. It is very easy to focus, but the viewfinder is a little bit small. Um, it is uh, certainly pocket-sized, especially when you put it in its little pouch. Um, it is not quick and easy to load film. Uh, it's got the whole back comes off, you know, the it comes off via the bottom. And seriously... I mean, when this was designed, and it was designed in a concert with uh, Minolta, um, yeah, you know, easy when to, Minolta easy, easy to load cameras had been around for a while already. It was yeah, there was no excuse. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and 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 it was like Leica was sticking. Uh, okay, so there's a there's a there's a psychological concept, and the psychological concept is that if you are doing something incorrectly and it is public and you are proven um over and over that you're doing something incorrectly in public you argue that even though you're doing it incorrectly you are doing it correctly because if you admit that you're doing it incorrectly and change then that admits that you were doing it incorrectly all that time. Mm-hmm. So if you change, it's called, it, it's the psychological principle of stay the course. Even if you are doing wrong things, you stay the course because otherwise you you admit that you're doing something wrong. Right. That is exactly what is in that like a design. That was exactly, um, you know, what was in, uh, seriously, there there is no film transport advantage to bottom loading backdoor cameras. I think you're, and, you're pretty uh, much describing so. the human condition and the reason we're, right. we're in yes. so much trouble right now. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. So, um, so anyway, there's that's the um, uh, that. So, so when I look at that, I, I still it takes such wonderful pictures. Um, it it has a meter, but it is a spot meter. And it, so you have to kind of, you know, uh, it's got, um, exposure lock. So you just have to kind of figure out where you are. Um, or maybe it doesn't have exposure lock. Now that I think about it, it doesn't have exposure lock. You, you aim it at what is, you know, middle gray within your, your image. Uh, and, and then reframe and don't worry what the, the little needle's doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so in a way it's better. Yeah. Right. Because you, you're right. always aware of what it is and you, you never have to worry about it wandering. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So, so those are the, you know, so if I was going to build once again, if I was going to build one of these, certainly swipe, slightly wide lens, small lens or, or a collapsible lens would be nice. Um, quick to focus. I'm going to probably go hyperfocal, focal, focus free. Um, 
I'm going to need a way to frame or even I'm telling you what, if you don't have a frame to look through, you don't need a frame to look through. Um, you know, um, it's not going to be accurate, but it's going to be quick and it's, and it's really freeing to shoot without, uh, um, a viewfinder. And you could, Um, there are interesting variations on the sports finder that no one, I've not seen anyone use, but I've seen on very old cameras Things more like a gun sight. So you could basically have a little cross or a little hoop that's showing when you're, you know, at arm's length or whatever, wherever you hold the camera when you shoot, you know, pressed against your face, wherever. This thing is going to show the center of the frame. So instead of worrying about what's around the edges, you just know where the center is and it would take care of parallax up to very close, you know. And that would, that would be another approach. Um, just like a, you know, a little sight. So what I wanted to just say that what you've just described is exactly the, the camera I came up with today thinking, well, what would I build for the ideal travel camera for everything? I want to make pretty close to the Leica CL, but for 120 film, 6 by 6 So I like my folding cameras, but they're never going to be fast because you they're a little fussy. I can't even see them without my reading glasses on. You know, they're they're not going to be quick. But something like a rangefinder that you just put up to your eye and shoot is fast and and has all the other characteristics just the same. So I was thinking I need to make a really small rangefindery and maybe just viewfinder. It doesn't necessarily have to have a rangefinder because you know a wide lens like you're saying just set, use the hyperfocal or or guest focus, you know. And I think it should be compact as possible, sturdy but light. And it looked kind of like a Plyobel Machina 6.7, like that type of basic, basic kind of, you know, brick camera and with rounded edges though and nice detail. You know, that's a great looking camera and something like that. But it, it just dawned on me that it should be six by six. I mean, that's one of my favorite formats and there just isn't, there's only one, the Mamiya six, but they're rare and they're really expensive. Oh, they are extremely you know, expensive. And, yeah, and then everything else is either, you know, 645 or 67 or 69. Like, there aren't any, there are very few squares. They were all sort of like TLR was the king of square and folding cameras. But anyway, so that would be an unusual camera, it would be one that would be pretty different. I think it's a great idea. And I think, yeah, just start with uh, fixed focus or guest focus, which is easy because you just use a lens that has a little helicon on it. And, uh, yeah. That'd be great. So, Nick, um, uh, what have you been doing uh, this past week? Uh, have you been working on your camera? No, I didn't. I didn't make any progress on that at all. Uh, but I did fool around with some other stuff. Um, I I finally got this uh, connector, and this has sort of started me on a whole new uh, direction. I found a, a Hasselblad bayonet to M sixty five thread connector made of metal. Um, it came from this place in Russia called RAF Camera. And they, they make a whole range of really odd and interesting adapters, especially for people who build their own cameras. A lot of them are based on M65 thread, which fits a very convenient size 
uh, helical that you can buy cheaply from a Chinese supplier. And they, they can be the basis of a, you know, a lot of focusing mechanisms, or you can just use it for fixed focus because you can just screw it to a certain size and, and, you know, lock it there. Um, they don't come with a locking screw, but it'd be easy to just, you know, tape it up or create a clamp for it or whatever. And, uh, the nice thing about these is that it becomes this like universal connectors that you could use to put lenses on a whole bunch of different homemade cameras. So it's kind of appealing and without having, without having to buy, you know, multiples of all your parts, cause you can just swap them around this way. And, uh, where was I going? Oh, so I use this thing to connect, uh, the, the helic, uh, helical to the Hasselblad that I have been using for, uh, pinhole work. And now I can use it to look through lenses and this gives me a way to connect them. So with a helical, I could put a large format lens in a shutter and make the thing into a completely functional camera, lensed camera again. Uh, so that's, that's kind of fun. And then the other thing that I fooled around with is, is looking through, um, smaller system lenses from 135. So I was using, uh, M42 thread lenses that screw right into an adapter that screws right into the helical. So it's nice and simple uh, way to use all those inexpensive smaller lenses. And what happens is because it's too, because a lot of the ones I was using were not a long enough focal length for this big medium format camera, they won't focus to infinity, but they focus really close, which is kind of cool. So I was fooling around with a 135 lens on this thing and it focused at a nice distance for doing close up work and it was a lot of fun to use, so I see that this um, this is sort of opening up a whole other way for me to use the wrong lenses on the wrong camera, which I like to do. Sure, sure. So what I yeah I didn't work on my camera either. Um, I I yeah I don't know whether even I even have any plans for that uh, taking it further. Uh, I did submit uh, a picture to um, the Sunny 16 um, Cheap Shots Challenge, yep, the, the fine art fine photo. Art, right, right. <laughs> uh, I made my statement. Um, uh, Graham uh, from the Sunny 16 said that it was full of bullshit. <laughs> and, and by that, um, he's absolutely accurate. And it was a whole lot of fun to write. So... Um, no. anyway, that'll be, uh, hopefully it'll make the recommended round, um, of the, um, of the cheap shots challenge. So we don't have to listen to, uh, you know, three hours of Johnny Sisson, um, going through very good, uh, description and very good, um, consideration on every one of the photographs and then talking about whether or not they have power lines in them. So. Uh, so anyway, let me, uh, let me talk about what I did do. Okay. So I have two things that I worked on, um, this, uh, this past, uh, fortnight, this past, uh, two weeks. Uh, one of them is I've been talking about, uh, creating a, um, 35 millimeter square pinhole camera. Um, and it was based on actually a comment that Corey Cannon from the Lensless podcast had. He said he was talking about one of the one of the reasons why he likes medium format um, pinhole cameras is because they have that really 
short focal length and they get that distortion and they're square. So I figured, well, I can do that with a 35 millimeter uh, camera. So I uh, I designed one and I built it and um, uh, I'm, you know, d- using 3D printing and I took it through um, probably about d- different parts. I took through as many as a dozen iterations um, and, uh, some other parts were, were pretty close, um, you know, right from the beginning, but, uh, I'm at the point where I consider it, uh, production worthy. So I went to figure out how to produce it because even though I have 3d printers available, I have a little tiny 3d printer at home and, um, a pretty good maker bot at school. I can't do production runs of cameras on the school printer. That's just, uh, nobody's going to call me on it because I'm the only one who uses it. But that's just not the right use of the resource, of a school resource, of my employer's resource. Um, that needs to be there for when a student uses, needs to use it. Um, so, I mean, I use it, uh, I usually do prints overnight, you know, when, when students aren't around. But... Um, you know, it's just, I'm not going to do the production. So I went through a company called 3dhubs.com and what they do is you upload your file and they assign you to a vendor and then the vendor looks at, you know, uh, looks at your file, make sure that it can be printed and then accepts the, the work, um, and it, the pricing's done by 3D hubs, although some of them have setup charges, some of them don't, and those setup charges are, are varying. Um, so there is a little bit difference in cost depending on what vendor you're connected with. So, uh, I wanted to print in three different colors, and I ended up working with two different vendors, uh, on, because I wanted to print in three different colors. Um, and, and the other thing is I wanted to print in ABS plastic because it has a few characteristics that are a little bit better than the PLA plastic that I normally use. It can get smoother. It has, um, uh, a little bit less, um, spread. Okay. So, and what I mean by spread is say you want a bead of plastic to be right on this spot. Well, that bead of plastic is going to be put right on that spot, but it's going to kind of settle down and it's going to spread a little bit. And and the spread with PLA and the spread with ABS is different. So I play with the size of elements that are going to fit within each other based on the PLA. And then when I have them printed ABS, they fit looser, uh, more loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And that... and. And, and that all has to do with the, you've, you've got finer detail on that ABS and you get, a, you get a better looking, better feeling product. Yeah. They seem from the ABS. Seems a little sturdier, maybe. Yeah. It's a little sturdier. It's, um, you know, you can use, uh, things like, um, model glue on ABS, but not on PLA. Um, uh, cause model glue is made for ABS. That's what models were made out of. Um, so, so there are certain things, um, with that. So I have come up with, I, the first thing I did was figure out what my production run would be. So I figured a production run of eight 
cameras. Um, so I loaded in and got bids on eight cameras, but never clicked on the go ahead and print. Um, and I found that, um, it'll cost me about 30 to $35 per camera for the plastic. It's going to cost me about 10 bucks for the pinhole. So that means that, um, uh, you know, it's about a $45 camera from, for me to, for my cost. So if I sold it for 65 plus shipping, that would, you know, plow a little bit back into the machine, you know, into the, into the business end of it, uh, or, you know, it would cover, um, time to go to the post office. It would cover, uh, packaging, uh, it would cover, I have to do some, uh, I have to do, you know, like a, a how to, a, a manual, a little manual, how to do it. So I, I'm exploring that and I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do a run, uh, and hope for my money back. Um, uh, and that's, and that's kind of my goal. And how just how is many to, is a run? Is just a run. Eight, eight, uh, cameras. So the first thing that I did, um, was I actually sent out one camera, one lid, one, uh, shutter, one, you know, all those types of things. I did one. Because I wanted to see what the quality of it was coming back. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't want to buy eight and come back and they're useless, right? right? No, that would, yeah. So I wanted to make sure that that machine came back. And and it came back. I got the last pieces today. Um, and uh, and the turnaround wasn't bad. I, I sent it Wednesday. Today's Monday. So uh, so that's, that's not a bad turnaround. That's good. Um, this one cost me a little bit more because I had to pay more, you know, more per unit in startup costs, you know, and all that type of stuff. Um, so I'm going to send this off to Corey Cannon. Um, I have the last PLA production version, and I'm going to send that off to uh, Andrew Bartram. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want feedback from them, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and, and do a production cool. uh, on those. And, no, and so no, it's a little... So which one is the... What camera's design are we talking about? Th- this is, this is, um, a 35 millimeter square pinhole. You, I haven't sent you one yet. I will send you one. I'm going to send you one, um, out of the first batch. Um, so, uh, I've taken a couple of pictures. It's on my, um, Instagram feed, uh, which is Graham Homemade Camera. It's on my Instagram feed and it's the one with the orange kind of holder. Right. Uh, yep. it's got a, it's got a grip on it. Um, so, uh, so that, that's the camera. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, uh, just as much of, of an experiment of in production as it is in anything else. Uh, because it's small, it has few parts. It's going to be a low priced entry point. Uh, that type of thing. I did look at what it would cost for injection molding mm-hmm. for it. Um, and injection molding was really good for 5,000 pieces. There would be a $5,000 setup per piece. Uh, okay. Let me say that again. That's a lot. The, the camera. So yeah, I know <laughs> you, that sounded, or you could buy I, I a new car right. or, <laughs> or you could buy a new car. Right. right. No. Um, for each one of the pieces, there is a body, a lid, um, uh, two different, it's a two part knob film advance system. And there's a two-part shutter system. Um, 
a shutter and and lens board. Um, and part of the deal is the lens board comes all the way out of the camera uh, because so you can get different focal lengths. I haven't done the different focal lengths, but you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was how many parts? That was six parts, right? Right. So the the six part, and then it's got that little holder. So that six parts, that's thirty thousand dollars in, um, in setup costs. But it comes in like eleven dollars a, a part, or sorry, eleven cents a part. So yeah, but you got to I mean, make a lot of cameras. You got to make a lot of cameras. <laughs> so so, and you know, I could you know end up selling them to the FPP, and they could call them the FPP. You know, whatever. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm never going to sell five thousand pinhole square pinhole cameras, right? No, uh, at least not with this design. Uh, you know, uh, that's over stretching what that market is. So, uh, but I, anyway, it's a foray. It's it's an explore. It's an exploring. Now, the other direction I could have taken is is the direction that Ethan from Camera Dactyl has taken, and he has a 10 printer printer farm um and uh and he's got 10 printers going um although apparently one of them's down right now but uh anyway he's got he has 10 printers going now i could do that um but i don't really have the space or, for or the time um, you know to, or the time right. or once, once they start know, breaking down and needing maintenance and you know right i, I mean yeah it would it, it would be a hassle um right Right, exactly. So, I mean, I I, I want to kind of farm that out. I don't want to necessarily do it, mm-hmm. um, do it myself the way uh, Ethan does, and 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 I like the fact that he does it. He owns the parts, right? He owns the process. He owns the machinery. Um, so so yeah, that's um, uh, that's the 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 approach. So um, so anyway, okay. So that's that's that foray. Um, the other thing that I did, uh, was I worked on my project that we talked about last time, which I've named the Flexo Pan. And I haven't decided whether it's Flexo Pan, Flex O Pan, like O-H exclamation mark, or Flex hyphen O Flex hyphen Pan. But it's the Flexo Pan. So the Flexo Pan, just to a recap from, from our last episode, it it will do um, twenty four by sixty five, the same as the um, Hasselblad. What is it? Pan X Pan X Pan. Thank you. Um, it'll do twenty four by forty eight because I like that kind of two to one format. It'll do twenty four by thirty six, the standard. 35 millimeter format and it'll do a square 24 by 24. It is a lensed camera. Um, and the big thing was getting that, uh, variable film advance. Um, and I have not tackled that, uh, yet. I've not tackled the film advance. One of the reasons why is because I wrote down the diameters on a, on, on pieces of paper and left them here at home. They're right here. <laughs> and then I would work on it at work when I would, get a little bit of time. Now I'm only doing, uh, you know, I only had about an hour and a half or two hours to work on it. So what I've done is I've got the, the body shape. Um, I have, um, the positioning, the masks designed, 
Um, I've got the, the advanced knob and the advanced system, which is almost identical to the one in, in the 35 millimeter, uh, pinhole camera. So that film advances that system. Um, you know, I, have, I, did I, haven't the math. Actually, I haven't actually studied that too closely. It's basically yeah. just turning a knob, right? It's just going to turn a knob right. for now. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, uh, I want to get, I want to get the proof of the other parts. I don't need to redesign a ratcheting system right now because that's not, I want to get to the, to the core parts. So I have parts that work yeah. for that. Yeah. So and, I'm, I'm just reusing those and parts. I, I've been thinking it through yeah. and I think even the variable for me, even the variable uh, frame size thing, I think it, I'm just going to make it a plain knob. And I have this scheme where the knob will have the knob will have a bump on the side sticking out, right? And what I'll do is I'll just make there'll be like a little uh, washer that fits over, the, you know, around the knob that will have stops the right distance apart for a given framing, and you can either move them to change the framing or have just have a different, you know, standard one that you drop over. So basically you just turn the knob till it hits the stop and then you turn the stop ring until the stop catches up. And so each time you'll get the same exact increment. And it's just this very, very like simple thing. And I've also been thinking that these cameras that we were been discussing for kind of these idealized small viewfinder, rangefinder travel cameras, the other thing I think is as much as possible, the mechanism should be on the outside of the camera so you can you can fix it without opening it. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, why not? Absolutely. You know? So one of the things about your advance that you're talking about, and I've, you know, once again, I did even more thinking about it, um, is it's got to be, okay, the different sizes have to be uh, either full... Um, what am I trying to say? Full multiples. So it needs to be two turns around or it needs to be three turns around or four no, turns not around. Not with, no, it doesn't. Or wait, hold no, on, hold on. Let me, let me finish this. Or it's got to be a divisible of 360 degrees. So you, so it's got to be, you know, you can do a frame that's, that is say your full frame is a uh, hundred millimeters. You can do one that will put do one frame within a hundred millimeters, two frames within a hundred millimeters, three frames within a hundred millimeters, four frames. It, it's got to be a divisible or a multiple. No, no, my system doesn't have to be. It's different. Okay. So in mine, the stop, the ring that determines the stops is independent of the knob that turns the film. And so it just. What happens is we're talking about the sprocket drive, of course, with 35. Right. It's the same idea. What happens is that this ring determines an interval, the length of an interval, and it moves each time you shoot. So you turn the knob until it hits the stop, and then Uh you're done advancing. Then you turn the stop until the backstop hits the knob. And so you've now just set. You've reset the camera by doing that to have the exact same interval repeated. And you just use a different template for each format. So I'm going to have to see. Yeah, I'll draw, I'll draw it up, but I really have solved that problem and and all with an external mechanism. So I'll draw, I'll draw it. It's too hard to explain. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the things that we talked about 
in, um, in the last episode was the idea that, uh, uh, a sprocket, uh, let's see, um, the sprocket cylinder, the, 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 the cylinder that contains the sprockets that counts the advancement of the, uh, camera for a 65 millimeter, um, frame size would, would have to be fairly large. And of course, I don't work with cylinders and diameters and, and radii and, and circumferences, circumfry. I don't know what that is. So, well, it's just pi. But I don't, I don't do that very often. So I didn't have it in my head, but 65 millimeter, uh, only needs a circumference, uh, or a diameter of 10 millimeters. Right. So a 65 millimeter circumference has a diameter of about 10 millimeters. So it, that's, that's smaller than the cassette, the a 35 millimeter cassette. Yeah. So, um, so there's, there's no big problem with that, which I kind of imagined that there was going to be. No. So, and, and even for the whole X pen, you know, wide format, you're still looking at, it's only, it's only going to be, you know, 20 millimeters. You know, it's not that. No, no, that's for the 65. That's for the full exactly. X pen size. That's what it's I just 10 said. 10 millimeters. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's, that's good. Um, yeah. So the circumference I, is, is easily eaten up with a relatively small knob is what right. we're saying. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, um, so I have an advanced system. I have a rewind system, which is just the advanced system modified slightly. Um, I have, um, uh, the film gate. I have the general body. Um, and I have it set up for an M65 helical with, uh, for a Bronica 40, um, F4, uh, and, and yeah, that a, sounds great. Uh, yeah. Copal zero shutter. Mm-hmm. So that's what my plan is. So that's where I'm, I'm working. Um, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll get a little bit of time to, So, um, uh, we've just, uh, passed Photokina. We've been hearing a lot about Photokina on, um, different podcasts. Um, if you, uh, want to hear some there, uh, the Sunny 16 did a show, uh, about Photokina and, um, they had Paul McKay from Analog Wonderland and he, he gave a little bit of report, a uh, little bit of a report, um, and Andre from, uh, uh, negative positives podcast. Um, he was there and, uh, did some field interviews and stuff like that from, uh, from the, uh, Photokina. But one of the things that, uh, really grabbed my eye coming out of Photokina or grabbed my ear was Paul McKay from Analog Wonderland, uh, talked about uh the folks from reflex camera now reflex camera was a kickstarter um uh, six eight months ago and uh where they are creating a new 35 millimeter slr that would be able to take multiple formats of multiple systems of lenses so you could uh you could do uh nikon lenses and canon lenses and uh, I guess M42 lenses, if I remember correctly, all on the same body. Mm-hmm. So 
one of the things that they had that they were showing uh showing off was that they were doing a they're also doing a lens and it's a 40 millimeter lens and uh i talked about liking that 40 millimeter lens that's on my Leica CL well i just bought a a brace of um uh that's two of them uh i bought a brace of Konica auto reflex TCs with 40 millimeter. Um, uh, it's a 1.8. Uh, 1.8. Yeah. Those, that's uh, one of lenses. my all time favorite lenses. That's a great lens. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that's the, the uh, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, so one of the reasons why they, they're doing this is because it was a completely underserved length. Um, you know, there are, there are a couple of pancake lenses that you can get for forties, uh, or in the 40 millimeter range, but really they're, they're, you could find hundreds of them in range finders. Right. Or, and or like, small compact. Or, yeah. The, the Roly, um, Roly 35 is a 40. And yeah, the, the, they were, yeah. they're sort of a little old right. school. I think what happened was 50 millimeter was in fashion for the, you know, 30, 40 years and people, people forgot about 40 and now they're all shooting with phones, which are even wider. And I think people are just more used to seeing the world wider again. Right. So I just thought that it was very interesting and I, you know, I assume it's going to fit on their reflex camera. So it's going to have a, a Canon, um, uh, the not the pre autofocus Canon. It's going to have a Nikon mount. It's probably going to have an M42 mount. So, um, you know, that I thought was just the most interesting thing in the world. Now, I want to point out that you can go get a Konica Auto Reflex TC with one of those 40 millimeter lenses, um, (laughs) for almost nothing. Yeah. Um, that's true. They're, you know, uh, I got two of them, uh, for $45. So mine was 15 at a thrift store. So yeah, there you go. Right. You know, so. Thrift stores, um, thrift stores are sometimes great finds, but they're, you know, they're a little bit hit and miss. So, uh, but on, on the bay right now, two of them for 45 bucks. So, uh, you just got to live in an area yeah. where a lot of elderly people are uh, inha- right. inhabiting. Right. Or you have to live actually in a city. So, no, um, there's too many kids buying up the cameras in the city. Oh, those dang hipster kids. <laughs> Oh wait, no, hold on. There are there are audience. Okay, right. No, yeah, and those great. I think don't they pay your bills kids. too? <laughs> right, right, right. Actually, exactly. The, I think the hipsters are all grown up now. The new kids, the real kids, are something different now. They've got something new. I, new I'm old. Up. Everybody's a kid, yeah, right? right? Get off my lawn. Exactly. Okay. Um. So okay. So uh, do you have a book for us? Yeah. So here's a here's a book that I like, and it in a way it feeds into this episode. It's it's completely different than the books I've recommended before. This is called The Ape Associated Press Guide to Photojournalism, second edition by Brian Horton. And it's a it's an introduction intended for somebody who wants to get, you know, go into the business of photojournalism. It's like a, a handbook. Do this, don't do this. You know, it's very interesting. But it goes into, you know, discussions about why people take the approaches they do in professional photojournalism. So it's very interesting. And it oh, yeah. kind of it's a whole other way to think about photography and i half of me wants to be doing that all the time half of me is 
really just interested in recording things that are happening in the world and thinking that way. And then the other half of me is, you know, wants to make crazy surreal things that are completely misleading <laughs> and then the opposite yeah. of photojournalism. So I like both approaches and it's interesting to hear kind of the nuts and bolts of it uh, described. So I recommend it. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at it right now on uh, Amazon and I get a little bit of preview and there are just some wonderful photographs in the in the um, uh, in the preview uh, section that um, are. Yeah, they're just tremendous. So, yeah, and my dad. Worked, uh, yeah, my so, dad worked for AP way long ago, back in the 1950s. Uh, and so I feel like kind of a connection with that whole world of journalists. And uh, sure. I've, I've always liked uh, learning more about that. OK, so uh, any letters or emails other than uh, we've been chatting with Ethan from Camera Dactyl. Um, you know, he's I, plugging away. Yeah, I haven't been getting email. I've been having conversations with um, people, especially people from, uh, you know, the Lensless podcast and some of the other there. They've been that group is very active. There's a lot of conversations, which are great. OK, Um and is that, you're having those conversations on Flickr? You know, this, I hate to say it, but a lot of them take place on Facebook, uh, it, which is oh. not a place I ever spend any time. But lately, oh. lately I've gone to their, no, I, I have most of my conversations on Flickr, but yeah. I have, um, a lot of people are using Facebook. A lot of people are, you know, tuned into that. I'm not, but in a way that's good because I can go check out what they're saying on Lensless Podcast without any fear of anyone expecting to right. converse with me and waste my time so it's, yeah. it's all right um yeah i uh my my thing is you know and i i hear you know like the negative positives uh podcast facebook blah, 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 that name that place um i think you got what i was what i was saying there um they seem to have a lot of fun and there a lot of conversation and a lot of stuff gets going from that facebook group and i just I don't know. I have a Facebook repellent in my, yeah, in me my personality. So do I. Yeah. It's, it's just like, uh, you know, I have the wrong pole. And every time I get near Facebook, I feel like I've got to push myself away. Right. But what's happened is that the Facebook groups essentially are like little Instagrams embedded in the Facebook matrix. And so they just function as people posting and conversing. They function exactly the way Instagram functions. Uh, and I, what I don't like about that is that it's very linear and you're, if you're not involved, you don't go back in time and like find stuff again. Whereas the, the conversations that I usually have on Flickr are within an organized, you're, it's like you're working within the Dewey decimal system. You, you can always find stuff again because it's, it's usually organized into topics and so forth. And, uh, and that I like that. It's like the, it's more of a wiki, the stuff you build up in in discussion with people there kind of stays in a, in a record you can search and find again which is more useful to me because i forget stuff you know all the time <laughs> and if it's a linear thing like uh i'm not going to go back and find stuff it's too hard yeah 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 absolutely so i uh, just I, th here's my um uh classic lenses podcast moment uh i am three minutes and 41 seconds away from winning a Graflex RH10 roll holder. So yeah, we'll we'll see whether or not I win it. So that's if, great. if we if we're still recording for um for three more 
three and a half more minutes. So, so I just okay. I just so, got a couple of those recently, uh, different different sizes, and they are really nice. I was kind of expecting them not to be as good as the newer, you know, RB67 and those kinds of things. But actually, I almost prefer them. They're a little bit lighter and more streamlined, and they seem really well made. I like them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think they're they're kind of nice. So. Okay, so uh, how do we get a hold of you? Just tell us your contact and well, the, I'll tell them mine. Yeah, so as far as most of my conversations that to do with cameras are on Flickr, and I'm there on, under Nick Lyle, and uh, you'll see a funny you'll you'll be able to tell it's full it's full of uh, homemade cameras and pictures made with them and all the kind of regular junk that accumulates on Flickr. Okay, um, and if uh, and I want to say, um, my, uh, presence on Flickr has been, uh, minimal lately. And, uh, I have a, a backlog of pictures I even want to, want to process and post, but I haven't had a chance to. Um, I'm just busy, busy, busy right now. Uh, it's my busy season. Um, you know, I'm, I'm prepping a few new classes and, and uh and i just don't have the time to get in there yep. uh, like so, i want yeah. to same situation so, for me yeah 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 exactly so uh so i'll get in there um uh sometime soon you can also email nick uh nick at homemade camera dot com uh you can email me graham at homemade camera that's g-r-a-h-a-m at homemade camera i'm also graham homemade camera on instagram i am Freezer of photons, all one word, uh, on uh, Flickr, and um, so yeah, and uh, come visit our Flickr groups. Even though I'm, I've been AOL, um, uh, I've been AOL, AWOL, A W O L. I've been America Online. You have been. You're, you're being absorbed into the internet. Oh, uh, that's funny. Okay. Anyway. So, so, yeah, and you can also, you can find some things that I occasionally post on Instagram at A-V-Y-N-I-C-K, uh, whatever comes after that. Right. Like, like you say, you, uh, post when, um, when Eric, who runs the Instagram for, uh, the Sunny 16 podcast, uh, when he says, tell us about your, uh, photographic weekend, you'll mention 30 things that you did on there on Instagram and shame everybody else for not doing it. 32 seconds and I'm still, and, and I'm still winning. No, it's okay. true. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. All right. So you get ready to do yeah. your countdown. And while, yeah, absolutely. And while so, you're doing that, there is, yeah, there is the shout out section. And I did. Okay. I did notice. Thirteen seconds. I'm still winning. All right. All right. Let me. Let's just wait now. I won't say anything. Let's see. Okay. Eight seconds. I'm still winning. <laughs> and um, by the way, my winning bid is the same as what it's at, and apparently I won. Yeah. You know. Let me. Let me rephrase that. Yeah. Um. I shouldn't say that I'm. I've won. It's not that I have won. It is that I bought it. <laughs> you know, I, I I hate the idea of I won an auction. Yeah, I know. So, it is some misleading um, terminology, but, you know, that's on yeah, purpose. Exactly. So, uh, so, yep. so I just wanted to uh, mention that uh, recently. If... Oh, my God, I was outbid. Here, hang on. Ah! Let me see what... It went for $11. And... <sighs> you did win then. Yeah, I did. Win. <laughs> oh, 
in. Somebody sniped it. Somebody sniped it. I'll tell I'm you what. I'm telling you, I'll that you was what. less than a second left. Uh, if you need one, I'll, so. I'll send you the one I have that you, <sighs> you can bust out the uh, the, oh, the, my God. the things that turn it into a six by six, and it'll be back. Oh. It'll be back to a proper RH10 again. I I have missed auction uh, remorse. Okay, so I just so, wanted to one shout out real quick. There's a there's out, a guy yes. who makes beautiful cameras, and he's been doing it for quite a while. Um, and he's got some pictures on our uh, homemade camera podcast Flickr page, and his his Flickr name is P H Dom D O M. Yeah, P H D P H Dom. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. So and there's there's some really nice uh, cameras that he's been making. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I fully agree. Um, certainly look up his stuff. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's thank Robbie. Go ahead and thank Robbie. Yeah, thanks, Robbie, for providing, making, just composing and producing the music that we use throughout the podcast. It's really, really great. Mm-hmm. 